As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. He has been fabulous out front on the slowdown in GDP. Matthew Lizzetti joins us uh, with Deutsche Bank with one of the great calls of 2023, a recession. But it's out there somewhere. I've got to ask you your arch call. How have you recalibrated your recession call and how do you recalibrate after this inflation report today? Sure. First, thanks so much for having me. Uh, no doubt, you know, you look at the headline numbers, you look at core, uh, better than expected uh, decelerations in a, in a number of the items. Uh, I think, interestingly, we, we didn't mention it yet, but rent and OER were actually strong. They, they rebounded uh, and bounced back up 0.8, 0.7%. Those are the sticky items we know are going to be there. Uh, I, I think in terms of, you know, the market certainly doesn't look at nuance at this point, and I think rightfully so, because it's a, a, a lower print. But if you think about some of the nuances here, we um, Mike mentioned you have medical services inflation in the CPI very, very weak. That's something that sticks with us throughout the rest of the year. But it's a completely different story in PCE. And so I think a big uh, question and, and kind of story over the next year will be PCE and CPI are going to converge a lot. Uh, they're going to converge a lot because you have different measures of healthcare inflation in, in the two of those. And you're going to see disinflation in both of them. But it's going to be less disinflation in, in the metric that the Fed looks at and the, and the metric that the Fed targets. How do you think Chairman Powell navigates this one tomorrow? Uh, you know, it's, it's one where obviously they can step down to 50 basis points. I really do think that they want to step down to 25 basis points as quickly as they can. And so data of this nature allows them likely to do that in the, in the February meeting if we get another data point like this. And that really then allows them to calibrate policy the best that they can. If there is a path to a soft landing, going to, down to 25 basis points in February helps to optimize that. I think they also want to avoid this kind of stop-start uh, tightening cycle that, that they may have to do, meaning pause only to re-hike at some point. I think they can avoid that the best by stepping down to 25 basis points at the February meeting. This type of data helps that. Well, although I do want to go to Neil Dutta's point, because it is a salient one, that this essentially gives people more money on a real term and a real basis in order to spend further, which only prolongs this economic cycle for longer. How do you factor that in to the flip side, the bullish case, which is saying that there is this natural disinflationary cycle that is taking hold and set to accelerate? Yeah, I think it's best to, to think of that through Chair Powell's three different components that in the basket. You know, we're seeing very clearly core goods and disinflation and deflation coming in. You know, rent and OER, we think 12 months ahead, given private rents, are really going to be decelerating. It's that third part of the basket that creates a lot of uncertainty and is tied to the labor market and wage growth. And there, I think, you know, core services, ex-shelter, what we're likely to see in healthcare and these other components as, as we look ahead, 
if you're not seeing demand destruction as much as the Fed needs, if you're seeing financial conditions ease substantially on these data, uh, it does make their job harder on that part of the basket. We can still see a lot of disinflation, but the question is, does that get us simply from where we are to 3%? How do we get from 3% to 2%? And that's, I think, the more difficult part. I think our number one question for Chairman Powell tomorrow, the risk of doing too little, does it still outweigh the risk of doing too much? How do you think he answers that tomorrow? I think he still leans towards yes, meaning that they, they still want to lean towards over-tightening uh, rather than under-tightening. But I think the committee is very divided on that, that question. Um, and I, I think he will have to balance that. And the more data we get of this nature, certainly the, the risk balance comes, comes into better balance as we look ahead. You know, stepping back, it's two data points. We're still at course. 6% above core CPI. Uh, they've been surprised a few times in the past. And so I, I think that they will be very cautious about pulling the plug to I early. think that's why I'm fa- far more interesting, Tom, in the risk management question for Chairman Powell. Yeah, you brought a- this a- up. agree with Matt. Yeah. It's a couple of months of yeah. data. We'll get the projections for whatever they're worth. But ultimately, the risk management question tells you a little something a and lot, actually, about the bias of this Fed going forward. I agree. And I'd fold into that another phrase, financial stability, which has really slipped away in the dialogue the last number of weeks. It was there big, particularly at the IMF meetings. Well, it helps when the S&P's back at 4K, right? People yeah. aren't so yeah. worried about so, financial stability, apparently. We're going to see it. I mean, we've got to continue to advance here. John, are we through highs yet in this recovery? I mean, we, we, we went up no, and we faded. We spiked, and... we pulled back. But I mean, there's still a move of more than 2% yeah. on the S&P. It's a punchy well, move. Yeah, 2.5% up Yields down by SPS. 14 or 15 basis points right the way through <clears> the curve. Two's out to... Tens and that dollar weakness in a mix. Euro dollar one hundred six thirty four. Is Dow thirty five thousand a big deal? It's a massive it's a deal. I've got my cap ready to go, Tom. Yeah, John, very good. You know, I'll get you to nine a.m. Uh, is well, Matthew Lazzetti of Deutsche Bank. Thank you so Thanks, much, Matt. Uh, this is important now. We need to get an equity update as well. John, do you want to tell us about the 9 o'clock show? I mean, I'd love to, but you were so eager about moving on. Well, I want to move on, but continue. (laughs) I'm not focused. Croatia beat Argentina. With the news flow that we've had today. (laughs) Shocked. I mean, Troy Gajewski's only book because you want to talk World Cup soccer with him. Does Croatia have a chance? Of Morgan Stanley. That's the tease, is it? Troy's here to talk football, FS investments. (laughs) Matt Hornback to talk about what happened with England from Morgan Stanley. Gargi Chowdhury's given us the preview for tomorrow. France. Yeah. Big Mbappe fan. Looking forward to that conversation yeah. in the next hour on Bloomberg You TV. didn't answer my question. Does Croatia have a choice? Does Do- Lizzetti, does Deutsche Bank just stop? Matt's not he's, even sat he's down. He's literally does, walking does, off the set. Does Deutsche Bank, like, does the whole place just stop <laughs> at two o'clock? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you can go now. <laughs> can I go too? Can yeah, you I leave can go as well? too. I can leave as well. Good. Wonderful. Does Croatia have a chance? Yeah. The answer is yes. Of course they have a chance. Look what they did to Brazil. Okay. Thank okay. you. That's the final word Thank here. You. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. 
Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. We get lucky this morning. Joining us around the table, yes. Julian Emmanuel, the Chief Equity Strategist at Evercore ISI. Julian, good morning. Good morning. We haven't had the cathartic <clears throat> moment, according to you, that the low earlier on this year is a low, not the low of this bear market. Why? Uh, look, if you look at past bear markets, there is always that moment. And even in the sort of strange ones, like the fourth quarter of, of 2018, when we were in that, you know, three-month degrossing bear market, you still had a cathartic moment where people just said, get me out. Um, and essentially, that kind of selling pressure really creates the buying opportunity. And for us, when you look at 2022, yes, volatility has remained elevated. And we have strangeness going on this week with the VIX climbing as the market has climbed. Uh, but you have not had that moment of pan There really right. has been very little emotion in this market. Two questions. What's the VIX level you need to see? It's not 40, is it? Uh, it, it ultimately will be. Okay, okay. cool. It, it, okay. I, everybody wants to know, when you're sitting at that little table that, that Ed Hyman's got with a black pen, how you link the Emmanuel world into the Ed Hyman world. You do it in your note as Ed alludes back to the 70s, the 40s, and the 30s. How is this inflation in this moment into next year allude back to those troubled times? So uh, Ed is very clear on this, and, and we, we certainly agree wholeheartedly. This is not the 1970s. The metastasizing effect of inflation uh, Ed, that we had for an entire decade is not there. Uh, you know, clearly we've had these problems. However, we're on the other side of it. We're seeing these readings start to come in. Uh, but the other aspect of it, thinking about the 1930s and the 1940s, and actually 1970 itself, is this decline in, in money supply, M2 going negative. That's a risk that the Fed uh, might have to step back and reassess that's, just how fast it's high. Do you understand that? So, C.J. Lawrence, I mean, you're taking Ed back to C.J. Lawrence when we go M2, M3, M this. Well, it, it's – look, I, that I, Thursday afternoon release of the money supply was uh, – World stopped. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. What's going to lead the equity indexes lower at this point, given that uh, big tech has already sold off disproportionately? Uh, we think that story has more to be written. If you look at it, value versus growth, the extremes are certainly less extreme after the year that we've had of growth underperformance. But there is still uh, really a, an embedded passion for, let's say, Fang uh, amongst the part of the public whose uh, equity holdings remain near all-time highs as a percentage of household net worth. And we think that is going to be worked off in, in certainly the first uh, six months or so. Can we talk about consensus just briefly? You published a little bit later in the year. You waited. You waited. You published. And it sounds a lot like what we've heard already, which is next year dip and then we rip <laughs> and we end the year at 4150. That's the call from... Evercore. Julian, how do you feel when everyone's saying the same thing about the year ahead? Very uncomfortable. Very, very no bones about it. And, and I will say that the most bullish thing about the setup right now is the fact that my uh, competition on the strategy side, the average price target is 4000 Okay, and, you know, 
I am not a raging bull by having a well, 41 When was the last time we were forecasting a flat market I, year end? I, I don't remember it. I, I don't know that there's any precedent for it whatsoever. Uh, and that, uh, along with the fact that this recession is the most anticipated uh, recession of our entire lifetimes, really gives you pause for the potential for upside here. So where could the consensus and you be wrong? If the recession doesn't come. Okay, we we all know it's happening. We all know what the components of it are. But again, think about it. Would we have ever thought that we would have seen two negative quarters of GDP like we saw in the beginning of this year and that not be labeled a recession for the first time since the 1940s? If somehow we skate on through, you know, zero growth, slightly below zero, Ed's forecast is zero percent GDP, that implies a mild recession. But if it doesn't happen... There is, you know, upside in our view to 4,600. Do you remember when you were charged with talking about Bitcoin? Do you remember the good old days? Uh, I do. And and basically, from our point of view in, in thinking about crypto is, and we talked about this constantly, is that... Are you, are you the, interviewing him? <laughs> I'm taping it for Ed. Continue. Is, is that there's an aspect of the technology, the, the blockchain, most people would agree that there's validity to, te- to that technology, the same way there was validity to the transcontinental railroad system in the 1870s, but yet the entire industry went bankrupt during the decade of the 1870s before uh, for further economic development. Julian, it's a space that attracted a lot of capital and a lot of coverage. You covered it at your own shop, and I just wonder for, let's use Evercore as, as an example, how difficult would it be to convince Hyman now that this is something we should cover at the firm? Well, look, and isn't that kind of the point right now that this is going to be kind of hands off for the doubters for a long, long time still to come? Uh, there is no question about the fact. And then again, if, if you think about the price action, the price action is telling you something. The fact that since this scandal was uncovered, <coughs> the price of Bitcoin really hasn't moved materially lower after the initial, uh, you know, uh, tribulations. It tells you that there is a fundamental belief in the technology, but yet, as is typical for most markets, once there's that sort of feeling of disgust, you're going to have a year, two years, three years, maybe more of just sideways price action to where only the true believers remain in the industry. And then likely you have your next bout of progress. Tom, you were talking about exactly that. I, 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 I'm try- I, I go with the railroad analogy, but I can't go there. I think this is something else. And I go back to Ken Rogoff in his most courageous book I've ever seen of the generation, The Curse of Cash. This is about non-regulation. It's like Binance, far more international than FTX. I'm speaking as an amateur there, don't quote me. And the idea of this, not that it was a scam, but it was wrapped around unregulated activity from day one and this morning, John, to regulators. The adults showed up this morning. Well, the headline at about 7 and the adults, the SEC, charging Bankman Freed with defrauding investors. <clears throat> Julian, this was great. Looking Julian, thank you. Thank you. Julian, can we just do this on a monthly basis, yeah. maybe even, you know, every two yeah. weeks? Just come into the studio and hang out for an hour. Drag it, Hyman, along. I'll, I'll sit out. You can, you know. Talk. We'll get Gensler to come. <laughs> yeah. Have a Have a broader conversation. <laughs> 
It's extremely important that we dovetail in here, first of all, to find the one congressman in America that will root for Croatia today against Argentina, and that would be the gentleman who is the fabric and soul of Dutch America. This is in western Michigan, north of Kalamazoo. It is the second congressional district of Michigan, yes, conservative, yes, Dutch American, but also fixated on the new finance of America. Bill Huzinga joins us right now, Republican from Michigan, thrilled he could... uh, uh, join us today. I've got to talk World Cup with you, Congressman, first, though. You've got to be root after what the Netherlands went through with Argentina. I mean, Croatia has a chance today, right? Yeah, Croatia's got a chance today. Now, I will note that the, uh, the, the Dutch beat the United States. That was a little tougher uh, conversation, but uh, I know all the football talk has gotten me very excited about my Detroit Lions. So well, that's true. Uh, the hottest team in the NFL. So a little different football. But, it is. Uh, I've got, yeah, it's it's going to be a good day. I've got Michael Barr briefing me on that in Bloomberg Radio on a daily basis, a legend from uh, Detroit to the east. Congressman, I must ask you about this meeting this morning at 10 a.m., all the emotion yeah. and all the politics. I want you to take the bizarreness of Bitcoin, crypto, blockchain. How do you explain this moment? to your conservative constituency. Yeah, constituency and frankly, to colleagues uh, as well. And uh, we've, uh, all of us on the Financial Services Committee have had uh, colleagues of ours coming up to us uh, and, uh, you know, and, and not to mention, obviously, uh, the constituents uh, saying, what is going on with this? And the sad element of this, Tom, is that this situation is creating the conversation, which is not a healthy one or the direction we should go, which is maybe we should just ban all of this. You know, it's too confusing. It's way too many uh, options and opportunities to, to cheat, lie, steal in it. So how about we just ban it? Uh, well, that's not going to happen. You know, and we, we've got to remember that uh, this is more than just about crypto. It is about the blockchain technology that underlies that. And that is going to be transformative for the financial services, but also healthcare. you name it. I mean, I, my background's in construction and housing. Um, you, you look at uh, what you're going to be able to do in that field uh, with, uh, with blockchain technology. It's all very exciting. But this, uh, which appears to have all the hallmarks of Enron and Bertie Madoff uh, blended together, Named Sam Bankman-Fried, uh, that is putting a very different spin on what the what the conversation has been here uh, in Washington. Congressman, how do you view the timing of the arrest given the planned meeting this morning on Capitol Hill? Well, um, I would assume, or I would certainly let's hope that uh, that Ginsler's revised calendar release yesterday had nothing to do with that. Uh, but I have been talking to a number of my uh, colleagues who were former prosecutors, uh, who are saying, "Well, wait a minute. This, if if you're giving a, a witness or a potential uh, a potential uh, mark uh, an opportunity to come in under oath, spend four hours in you know just freewheeling conversation." Uh, with Congress where they might just end up perjuring themselves, why would you not give them that opportunity? Uh, So it's got a lot of just kind of question marks around that about the timing. Uh, I welcome his arrest. What I don't understand is why it wasn't a week ago or a week from now. Uh, Why did it have to be yesterday or last evening? What do you think would have been accomplished and what do you want to be accomplished at today's meeting? Yeah. 
Well, uh, and of course, as you know, we're having uh, uh, the uh, the new interim CEO, Ray, is coming in. Uh, and I would have wanted to hear his answer. My, the conversation that I was going to have uh, was going to be surrounding uh, FTX.com, you know, the separation between uh, U.S. as well as international funds. And was there a commingling of that uh, illegally, or potentially, if there was uh, U.S. dollars getting put into uh, those international funds uh, like that? I, I wanted to hear hear from both of them what their take was and whether there was a, mm-hmm. any evidence of that, because I want to protect U.S. consumers and I want to protect U.S. taxpayers as well, because there's obviously been some calls well, for, we got to bail it out, which can't happen. I mean, people have been looking for the Secretary of Treasury, whether it's Yellen or before. I mean, I, you know, this stretches back a number of uh, years and administrations, Congressman, but you got to believe at some point we decide if Bitcoin and all that is an asset. Is it blottable? Can you audit it? And can it provide tax advantage when it has a huge gain to the IRS and such? Are we at that point right now where we need to codify Bitcoin to be an IRS item? Well, I, there is not consensus of that yet. Tom. Agreed. And look, you've got you've got some arguing it's a commodity, some arguing it's a security. Uh, you know, we like things to be either fish or fowl right. here in Washington D.C., and it turns out this is a platypus, right? It's got it's got hallmarks of both, uh, and uh, we we have not reached that consensus. Clearly, uh, Gensler, Chair Gensler, believes. Uh, well, he did believe when he was head of CFTC that it was a commodity. <laughs> he now seems to think it's a security, uh, but uh, you know we. We, uh, we are going to have to wrestle with this one right now. Right. I, I should note also, by the way, we have not seen Gary Gensler in front of our committee in over a year. It was last October. So t- uh, Lisa was asking, you know, what kind of questions you would like to ask right. today. I'd like to ask, right. what has the interaction been with the Securities and Exchange Commission uh, leading right. up to this point? And uh, that's a very important thing. Sam Bankman-Fried was here in December of 21. It's ironic that he would have been here more often than Gary Gensler right. in front of our committee. Congressman, I've got to ask you this, and we do this with all of our politicians, particularly when they're not lawyers. You are steeped in the core industrial process of America, in sand, gravel, crushed stone. That's what you do out in western Michigan. How do we jumpstart investment in those core industrial and housing construction processes. What does Washington need to do to help somebody not busy in gravel right now? Yeah. Well, and here's the interesting thing, Tom, is we actually are pretty busy. Uh, infrastructure has continued to go on. And your last guest was talking about that. You know, some of those underlying pressures that normally uh, would have uh, had us going in a different direction as we've <clears throat> seen inflationary pressures still continue. There's still a lot of activity, but we've got to, we've right. got to solve uh, this, uh, the, uh, the supply chain. <clears throat> Part of that is in, in con- construction is, uh, is making sure that we've got domestic oil production and world oil production production mm-hmm. up because 30% of a barrel of oil goes into PVC pipe, shingles, asphalt, right. all the, uh, you know, siding, all of those things. So if we're, if we're looking at how to housing and to infrastructure, we've got to make sure that the materials and the labor is actually there and available. Well, Congressman, thank you so much for your time today from the second district of Michigan, Bill Azinga. Thank you. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. 
Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. We have inflation here in two hours, and part of inflation has been your gallon of gas. And for business diesel, Amrita Sen has been of huge value to Bloomberg Surveillance and Bloomberg Worldwide and joins us now from Energy Aspects. Uh, Amrita, is oil disinflating or is it becoming a true deflationary item within the reports at 830? I mean, look, in the near term, it's obviously been uh, deflationary, right? We've seen oil prices collapse. But I will say this has got very little to do with fundamentals. Yes, there were good fundamental reasons why, you know, we were expecting a rally into year-end that didn't materialize given the new Chinese lockdowns, French strikes, all of those factors, right? Sure, we should have probably been in the low 90s, late 80s, but not collapsing down to where we have. I'm talking about Brent here, of course. Um, this has been a massive year-end liquidation event. Lots and lots of funds have liquidated. Uh, and I think that's what's dragged prices here. And that's obviously been de- deflationary, at least in the near term. I just don't think this is going to last. Well, it's not going to last, but when is it going to go? And what will make it go? Is it a sense of Pacific Rim demand? Is it global demand? Or is it some supply adjustment? I think it's going to be demand, and I think it's going to be Asia, uh, China in particular, that's going to be the biggest driver of oil markets next year. They are finally giving very clear indications of reopening. So far, you know, we've been very cautious and we've been kind of expecting April onwards. But yesterday we put out a note, we raised our Chinese demand numbers because these are the very first Mm. concrete they have taken. And I think that is meaningful. Again, it doesn't mean overnight China can reopen. It will be a slow, gradual reopening. But imagine, Tom, it's been three years come February that China would have had COVID. We've seen the kind of pent-up demand in the West when the West opened up. And you're talking about billions, one billion uh, plus people. Uh, The pent-up demand is going to be huge. And you'd appreciate this. It's the multiplier effect. The impact it's going to have on the rest of the region, Korean exports, Thailand's tourism, Mm. everywhere. I think that's where the big demand push is going to come from. So why is that not being priced into markets at all? Why is nobody following through on the story that everyone seemed to be on board with not so long ago that a reopening in China would be bullish for oil prices? I'd say so two things. For me, one, I have a feeling this is a we need to see it to believe it because we've had a couple of quote unquote false starts, right? Even earlier this year, people after Shanghai were expecting loosening of restrictions that didn't quite materialize. Um, and they are still not buying crude in the market the way they used to. That's because they bought a lot of crude in November. They need to run that down. So I think both of that, those things need to coincide. And more generally, it's year end, right? If people have squared off their books, they're not going to necessarily put on positions now. Having said that, if you look at the 
curve, if you look at the price set right now, uh, for 2023, it does look extremely attractive. You don't need major supply losses to tighten this market up. Just the end of the SPR and China reopening uh, does provide some huge, huge bull cases uh, for next year. Yeah, I was going to say the uh, Strategic Petroleum Reserve releases are still ongoing. The last one having uh, just been finished with respect to the distribution. How much has that influenced the price? Hugely. If you take a step back this year, what has actually happened is that we haven't lost much oil at all from the Russian invasion, right? Because the embargo has just only kicked in. Uh, Since the invasion, we have had 270 million barrels of global SPR released and maybe half a million barrels of of Russian losses. So you can do the numbers. And yet, Commercial inventories, yes, we've built, but only built by about 150 million barrels. So had it not been for the strategic petroleum reserves, we would have run out of oil in several places. I'm ready of Energy Aspects. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for Insight. From the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.